Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. Taking a bite of the Big Apple first with Brian Geltzeiler of Sirius XM NBA Radio. Geltz, when the season first started, expectations for the Nets were pretty high. Uh, expectations for the Knicks, based on last year, their fan base was probably pretty excited about it. But reality sets in during the course of the season for an, in a number of ways, and certainly injuries play a part. But Dealing with the Nets first, they're off a victory, a come-from-behind victory again against the Knicks. Second time, I think February 16th, they came from 20 down. Last night, they came from 21 down. And in the fourth quarter in particular, I mean, a 16-2 run. The Knicks scored two points in the last five minutes and change. Yes, well, first, let me correct you on one thing, Howard. They came from 28 down on February 16th. Oh, Okay. Even, even worse. To give some context. Irving and Durant were not playing. Cam Thomas and LaMarcus Aldridge were the two that came back to beat the New York Knicks that night. At least last night, they were down 21 to Durant and Irving. And they got a 21-point lead on Durant and Irving, which is a good sign. With that said, closing the game became very difficult for them. This is a young group of players. The young guys kind of carried them forward with Alec Burks. And... They, when the push came to shove, they were not sure what to do in a big spot to be able to, to hit a big shot. And listen, the stops get tough when it's Durant and Irving on the other end. Um, but the Knicks, what's interesting about the Knicks last night, and so much of it had to do with youth and a lack of maturity, and the fact that Burks is a guy that is very, very ball dominant um, and didn't necessarily in a couple of big spots find who he's supposed to find with the ball, which is I.E. Barrett Toppin. But the the Nets won that game in the fourth quarter with a really small lineup. They won the game in the fourth quarter with six foot Patty Mills, right? Six foot two Seth Curry, six foot four Bruce Brown, six foot two Kyrie Irving, and six eleven Kevin Durant. They four guys six four and under beat the Knicks last night in that fourth quarter. And listen, offensively, it's a very tough lineup to deal with because they spread you out with the shooters. Brown screens on the ball and tends to wreak havoc in the paint. And even at 6'4", he's just a guy that you got to worry about a little bit. Um, but the other end of the floor was what surprised me, is that when you, you know, you're guarding guys like Barrett and Toppin, with much, much smaller players, and granted, Brown competes very well in defensive end, Kyrie Irving is a guy who certainly has improved a ton defensively, but I don't understand why the Knicks didn't take more advantage of their big sides advantage last night, late in that game on the offensive end of the floor, and really it's a product of young players not really being sure how to handle this and how to exploit it, and and it's, but this is, I will say this, and I think last night's promising for the Knicks in this respect, if you're going to lose these games, let the young guys lose them. 
let guys like Barrett and Toppin and Quickly and Jericho Sims be the guys that are after losing these games. Losing games with Randall playing big minutes and Fournier playing big minutes. I don't know Alec Burks played big minutes last night. Um, I would have rather seen Quickly get more than he did last. And I know Grimes wasn't, you know, wasn't healthy. Reddish isn't healthy, so neither of those guys were playing last night. But even a guy like, like Deuce McBride, giving him some minutes. Your younger players are going to get better being allowed to go out there and be the one to make those mistakes when you have a group of older players who are who they are and really the, the whole mentality with the Knicks, which has started to shift here as they've fallen out of the playoff race, has to be based upon doing what's best for the young guys. And, and you know, R.J. Barrett uh, specifically, but that's got to be the mentality that seems like the direction the Knicks are going to go here. And, and you know, listen, Last, last season was a mirage, and it's over, and it's done. They've collapsed from it. Now where are you going from here going forward? And to me, it's all about, you know, R.J. Barrett and the rest of the young guys on this team. Gels, let's talk about, uh, you say, where are they going from here? Well, let's look at Leon Rose, who's the president, a one-time agent with CAA. He's got a lot of c- clients that, uh, that he hopes to attract. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's name has come up. Um, uh, Jalen Brunson's name has come up. Number one is... Does Dolan uh, have the stick to to say, all right, we're going to keep Leon Rose, but what about Thibodeau? Do you expect him to stay? There was a report earlier this week, and, and, and I apologize in advance, the reporter that reported escapes me. I think it was Ian Billy from SMY. But, you know, Thibodeau signed his five-year deal. The fifth year was a team option. They have already exercised the team option. So he's got three more years of guaranteed money. Tom's not going anywhere. Tom's going to be there going forward. And listen, I think Tom should get at least one more year to prove his wares. Mm -hmm. He did a fantastic job his first year with his team. He didn't do a good job this year. It was not the best work we've ever seen Tom do. But I think last year earned him a third year. And, And you know what happens sometimes when you're turning over coaches too much is it's not good for your young players. You totally break the continuity of them learning a program and developing under the influence that a coach has over a coaching staff and a player development staff. So you have to be very careful how quickly you switch coaches. It's, it's, there's a lot of times in the NBA that a coaching switch is, let's be frank about it, it's a Band-Aid. It's a cheap Band-Aid. So from that standpoint, I, I agree with what the Knicks are doing. Leon Rose is going to be around for a while. Leon Rose is, you know, he is Dolan's choice. Last year certainly bought him some extra time, and he is going to be around a while, Leon Rose. So that's who's going to build this thing out. As far as some of the players you discussed, listen, I I know this. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert will not will not both be in Utah together next year. It's a relation it's a relationship that doesn't work. This is a team that is collapsing before our eyes. The offensive philosophy they play with has become a detrimental one in that they're taking so many, 47% of their shots are three-point shots. They are a literally a make-or-miss basketball team, and lately it's been a lot more miss. Mitchell is a wonderful player off the dribble, and he takes you know almost half his shots at threes. It, it's, there's, it's horrible how the Jazz have played and their style of play. They've totally abandoned defense. Gobert's not the defender he once was, only because they're asking so much of him that it's almost impossible for him to do. One of those two guys is going to be gone. Now, listen, Ryan Smith, as an owner, is a very powerful personality, well-respected young guy that can relate to players. 
Danny Ainge is now there as the team president. And Dwayne Wade's a minority owner. And Dwayne Wade's going to be involved in this stuff with Donovan Mitchell. I do think there's a strong possibility Donovan Mitchell asks out. I also think there's just as strong a possibility that the Jazz are able to turn him around and talk him into wanting to commit and stay. And then they turn around and try to trade Rudy Gobert. Now, trade Rudy Gobert is not the easiest thing in the world because he's signed to an enormous contract extension with some huge numbers attached to it. But for the right team willing to spend money and willing to put proper defenders around him and willing to engage him in the offense, which when the Jazz have, he could actually be a, a, a big-time asset for a, for a team that's looking to contend for a championship. The ultimate problem with Gobert less about on the court and more off the court and that he tends to grate on people's nerves he's not a popular guy in the jazz locker room he's you know he had the incident two years ago involving covid where he touches all the microphones and he ends up being the guy that got covid you know kind of patient zero in the nba's whole covid thing um he's not a popular guy and so you know that's something that may be held against the jazz but the jazz are going to be up against an interesting question which is do we trade mitchell for huge value or do we trade Gobert for less value and want to build around a young Donovan Mitchell? It's going to be a major decision for them. I don't think Quinn Snyder's going to be there. But if Don, they do decide to trade Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks are going to be the first in line. The problem for the Knicks is you would want to pair Donovan Mitchell with R.J. Barrett. There is, I would say, less than a 1% chance that the Jazz would trade Donovan Mitchell to the New York Knicks if they were not getting R.J. Barrett in return. And if I'm the Knicks, I'm not sure I'm doing that. I have to tell you, because I think Barrett at 21 years old here is on a, with his physical profile, his athleticism, and the progress he's made in his third year in the league, he is on a path to stardom. And I think you have to let him be that. But that will keep in mind, as good as a player as Mitchell is, he's not half a defender R.J. Barrett is right now. Mm -hmm. And with uh, Tom's system, that's really important. So uh, you look there, now Jalen Brunson's a name that you mentioned when it comes to Jalen Brunson, I'm hearing Dallas, one of the reasons Dallas got off Porzingis' deal was because they want to turn around and pay Jalen Brunson a heck of a lot of money. And they're hoping to figure, even if Spencer, Spencer did when he's done everything they wanted him to do here. And I think they may look to move off of that deal. It's a partial guarantee in the third year for Dimwitty to be able to overpay Jalen Brunson to keep him. Brunson is a, Luka Doncic says, best year in the league in his third year here. There's no coincidence that one of the reasons he's had such a great year in sport year, but one of the reasons he's had such a great year is because of how well Brunson compliments him. I can't imagine Dallas letting him go. I think they would pay him a massive number to stay. And at least I think that makes it all from a massive number also. But I think if you're Brunson, you kind of sit tight where you are. You're in a really good situation in Dallas playing off of Luka. I'd be hard-pressed to believe Jalen Brunson's going anywhere. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Brian Geltsiler, Sirius XM. NBA radio, uh, the discussion about Julius Randle. Uh, I thought that at the trade deadline, he was good. they were going to move him. Maybe they couldn't get the deal they wanted for whatever the reason. He's got a four-year contract that was signed uh, before the season started. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know why they did that, but they did it. So now you've got Julius Randle. Is Julius Randle better for the Knicks, or are they better without him? You just look at what's going on. And you could make a case that they're better without him on the floor. I, I Listen, I, I said to you earlier, and I think it's important to go back to it. The Knicks are all about the development of young players right now. Right. And the question you have to ask is Julius Randle good for their young players? Let's, let's even drill it down further. Is Julius Randle's presence on this team good for R.J. Barrett right now? I have my answer. My answer is no. I agree. I don't think I don't think his presence. So, so if that's the case, you have to find a taker for him. 
there's there's two problems with that. Number one, he's next year he's going into the first year of a four year extension at or that starts at twenty eight million a year and graduates up from there. So you're looking at something that's four years about one hundred and fifteen, one hundred and sixteen million dollars that you're oh still owe Julius Randle. Somebody has to be willing to pay for that contract. The third team All NBA guy from last year that's actually a bargain. The guy this year that shot thirty percent from three acted like a malcontent on and off the court was anything but a leader and thumbed his nose at the New York fans. It's not worth that money, and four years is a long time. So for the Knicks, they have to make a decision of how bad do we want off of Randall's money? Because ultimately, listen, one of the reasons Randall didn't get traded at the deadline was because Leon Rose was putting too much value on him. They were talking about a De'Aaron Fox deal, and the reality was Sacramento wanted Randall Plus, and Leon Rose felt that, well, you should be giving us Fox Plus. And that deal broke down immediately, and what did they do? They traded Therese Halliburton versus the bonus and kept them. So it, it's part of this is going to be how Leon Rose values Julius Randle. And as much as you want your team president to put value on your players and get the maximum value for them, sometimes there's addition by subtraction. And if you're going to place too high a value on Randall, you're going to get stuck with him. And if you're not willing to keep him, you have to kind of own up to the fact this is a contract dump, which means we may have to take somebody's bad contract. And to me, I think a Westbrook deal with the Lakers makes a ton of sense. Because, first of all, if you're the Lakers, you're desperate to keep LeBron after this season. And, I mean, LeBron on the shop the other day is talking about, I want to play with Steph Curry. He talked about playing with his son. At All-Star, he's talking about how great Sam Presti is. You know, Le- LeBron is telegraphing some kind of exit strategy here, whatever that mm-hmm. is. If you're the Lakers, listen, you, you came up with all these first-round picks for Anthony Davis. If you lose LeBron, this whole thing caves in. And the one thing you found out this year is that Westbrook was the guy that wasn't the fit. He wasn't there when you won a championship. The pieces you gave up for Westbrook is what killed you. So if you can turn around and bring pieces back for Westbrook, even if they're not favorable contracts, you can have this team with a different look around LeBron and AD. The Lakers could do a lot worse than a package of Randall, Evan Fournier, and Derrick Rose. And if you're the Knicks, well, fine. I'll take. I'll get out from under. There's two more years of Fournier's deal that are guaranteed. Four years of Randall and one more year of Rose that's guaranteed. I would give them all of that to be able to have Westbrook for one year and know that I am off and out from under all of that money. And that's the key, getting out from under Randall and Fournier's money. Barrett's going to be doing extension. If your young guys can show something, maybe you're in the market for a free agent come the end of next year when Westbrook's done. Here's the other thing. Westbrook's expiring contract allows you to be in the game if a Damian Lillard becomes available Mm -hmm. and you can step up with young players. That expiring deal allows you to be able to do that. Randall doesn't do that. You're stuck with Randall for four years. And here's the thing for the Lakers. Say, okay, if we lose LeBron, why do we want three years of Randall guaranteed? Fair. But if you take Randall on and it helps you keep LeBron because the team's better and he decides, you know, that he loves living in L.A. For as much as he talks about leaving and all that stuff, he loves living in L.A. If you can keep LeBron there, Randall being signed for four years is almost inconsequential. It doesn't matter because you've been able to keep LeBron there and you have a guy locked up that's going to play with him along with AD. So 
to me, I think that makes a ton of sense for the Lakers and a ton of sense for the Knicks. And that's the kind of move I'd be making to look to get off Julius Randle's money. If they're going to do something to try to generate trade value for Julius Randle, they're going to spin their wheels and waste their time. And it's very important. Time is an, this time is an enormously important element in the NBA offseason. You have a limited window draft week to do deals. And then once that July 1st gets started, you have, it's, a, it's you know, pretty much everybody's getting signed in the first four or five days. You have about, I would say, 96 hours to get your work done, really, and that's it. So if you are going to start to look to make a meaningful deal that involves a sign-and-trade or free agents or whatever, you're going to hold a too high value on a guy in terms of what the league perceives the guy to be. You're going to get caught holding the bag. And that's, so that's a really important element for the Knicks is to have a realistic appraisal about Julius Randle and what his value is in the open market, something they did not have at the deadline. All right, let's go look at it from the Lakers side. And about Anthony Davis, I mean, he plays 60 games. That's a lot. Uh, can you afford to continue to go as great a talent as he is? Uh, you just he's, he's, you can't rely on him to be on the court. He gets injured every year and misses a substantial amount of games. Can you live with that? You have to, because you're not right now after off a 37-game season, 38 games, however many he's played, you're not going to get all those draft picks and those types of player assets back for him. So you're, you're going to really take cents and a dollar for what you paid for him. So if, if you're the Lakers right now, you have to keep him. This is, to me, if I'm the Lakers with Anthony Davis, I'm much more concerned about what his off-season habits are exercise physically what he's doing with his body that's my those are my larger concerns i'm not interested in shopping him because i'm not going to necessarily get the kind of package back that i want the league is looking at anthony davis as as if he is damaged goods right and that is a problem and you're not going to get that kind of value back for him you have to build his value back up within your own organization so i don't think they get anything listen the problem for them was either Westbrook or LeBron had to change their role for that to fit. Westbrook doesn't change. It's not who he is. Right. He never will. LeBron, I thought, could change. But LeBron had to do two things for this Westbrook thing to work. He was only willing to do one of them. One of them was to become more of a scorer, and he did that. He was very, very aggressive trying to score. The other thing he needed to do was to be able to give the ball to Russ and let it be out of his hands. LeBron couldn't do that. And, and if LeBron couldn't do it for Westbrook, he's not going to do it for anyone. Not for anyone. So uh, you have to get rid of Westbrook. That's your answer. Yep. And again, look around the league at bad contracts. And, and bad contracts can turn to decent ones quickly. And the model for a Westbrook deal is the Dallas-Porzingis deal. They traded. They made the decision. Porzingis is a toxic contract. We have to get off they traded for Davis Bertans and for Spencer Dinwiddie, figuring, you know what, playing off Luca may get Bertans more open looks, and maybe he becomes, maybe he's not the 45% shooter that they paid $18 million a year for, but if we give, but if we get him up to shoot 38-39 from three, that's going to be an asset to us. And then Dinwiddie, who didn't fit in the Washington locker room at all, didn't play well. Um, guys just didn't like him there. They felt like they could turn Dinwiddie around. And they have. And Woody's been terrific for them. So my point is, is that if you go bring in other teams' bad contracts, but they appear to be a better fit than Westbrook, that's the type of deal that they have to model. And listen, one thing we know about this league, the NBA, there's plenty of bad contracts out there. Yeah. You know, so so you, you, you kind of take a look at things. I mean, do you call the Sixers 
and have a conversation with them about a Tobias Harris, who's one of the more toxic contracts out there. I don't know. Maybe placing him between LeBron and AD ends up getting better. I mean, there's a variety of things that you can do if you're willing to find overpaid players that may fit your team better than Russell Westbrook. Those are where your answers lie if you're the Lakers. The problem with the Lakers is it's the old expression, Howard, too many chefs spoil the broth, mm. all right? Jeannie Buss is the owner. She's got the two Rambuses, Linda and Kurt, in her ear who are majorly involved in decisions. You have Rob Palenka, and then there's Rich Paul and LeBron going around Rob Palenka to Jeannie. So Jeannie's got Palenka in her ear, She's got the two Rambuses in her ear. She's got Rich Paul and LeBron in her ear. So who she listens to on a daily basis is a crapshoot. You have no idea. <laughs> so for the Lakers, that becomes their decision-making process and, and what they're going to do. You know, other, most other teams, their decision-making process is pretty defined and pretty clear. With the Lakers, it's an entire mishmash. It's the farthest gump of decision-making process. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, I like that. He's Brian Geltsiler, serious. XM, NBA Radio, taking a bite of the Big Apple with Brian. Let's go back to the Nets. They got Cleveland tomorrow in a critical game. Then they got Indiana on Sunday, which you expect would be a win. The Cavs, meanwhile, after the Nets, play Milwaukee on Sunday. So there's, I mean, if the Nets take care of their business, they could get the seventh spot in the East, which is better than the eighth spot. Uh, after that, uh, you look at, and they have the tiebreaker with Atlanta. So, so they taken they again. They took care of their own business. The Nets are a team. When you look at it, how many teams in the top four in the East want to even see the Nets in the next round? All right. So this is where it gets interesting, right? Now the Nets. There's a very clear path: two home games, Cleveland and Indiana. Win them both. You're you're playing a home playing game against likely Cleveland, right? And at that point, so if you win. Three in a row, two against Cleveland at home. Now you're going to get a hobbled Mobley back. Um, am I going to say it's automatic? It's never automatic. Is it on the easier side? It's on the easier side for the Nets. It's three games they should be able to win without a problem. So then let's assume the Nets in the seven. And then the eight could be any Cleveland, Atlanta, or Charlotte. I would probably think Atlanta's a team after the playoff success last year that none of us should sleep on coming into the eight. But here's what gets interesting. So... News broke last night regarding Sixers wing uh, Matthias Thibel. Right. It, it not vaccinated. He's ineligible to play in Toronto. Now, as of January 15th, to cross the border, you have to have been vaccinated. So he's not going to be able to play. Um, the Boston guy, it was interesting. Earlier in the, in the month, you had the Bucks declare our entire roster is vaccinated. The Heat declare our entire roster is vaccinated. The Sixers not committing to it, and we found out why. Fibel's not vaccinated. The Celtics did not commit to it either, Howard. Right. Which And now the rumors are it's either Jalen Brown or Al Horford. I don't know which one it is. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody else. But if it's one of those two guys, especially Jalen Brown, I ask the question, do you want to avoid Toronto more than you want to avoid Brooklyn? Because if you're going to play Toronto, you're not going to have one of those two key guys for the road games. And obviously, we know the consequences of not having a player of Jalen Brown's caliber. That's an enormous problem for Boston. Horford's a pretty big problem, too, because you don't have Robert Williams. Right. So, like, you, if you had Robert Williams, you wouldn't worry so much about Horford. You'd slot Daniel Tyson. He would, wouldn't be what Horford is, but he'd do a decent job of replacing him. You don't have Robert Williams. You want to go into a playoff series against Toronto without those two? So, if you play in Brooklyn, 
essentially you're going to be able to not have to worry about Toronto and have your full complement of players. So you got to ask that question if you're Boston that tonight's compelling. Philly's in Toronto. All right. Now, Philly has to, you know, not having Thibault is not great for Philly either. They're not overloaded with long perimeter defenders. He's the best that they have. And if you're going to go into a series against the Toronto Raptors with Pascal Siakam, with Scotty Barnes, with OG Ananobi, you know, you need a long perimeter defender. That's going to be really tough to have to play your road games without Thibault. So you do wonder if you're the Sixers, do you go after tonight's game against Toronto, see if you can pull that out and win it and get out of the four potential because the three is the plumb spot in the East. The three draws you the Bulls, okay, and the, bull, the Bulls can't stop anybody. Right. I, I wouldn't let them guard my spot online at the bank as a unit at this point. They're that terrible defensively. So do you want to – the three is that spot. You end up in the two, you're likely to have Brooklyn. But I would tell you, if you're Philly or Boston, you may want – um, Toronto, um, Brooklyn, more than you want Toronto because of missing key players. Now, Boston is in Milwaukee tonight. I don't think Milwaukee's generally afraid of anybody. With that said, if Milwaukee had to make a choice, I tell you right now, Milwaukee is going to want to play Toronto over Brooklyn. However, the decision that the Bucks have to make regarding this is if you're in the two seed, you draw a home playoff series in the second round. You get home court advantage there. So do you want to think big picture with the confidence that if we end up in the two, we can go beat Brooklyn um, as tough as they're going to be and have to go through Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? But know that if we do, we're in much better shape in the second round. Or do we say, you know what, let's fall to the four, be on the road in the second round, and whoever we play, which would be Miami, if they would win the first round, who they match up very well against, and feel like that's our path to the conference finals, knowing that we would only get the one home court advantage in the one playoff series. So there's so many different moving parts right now yep. about how this whole East thing is going to play out. And and the thing is, you know, you can intend for one thing to happen and based on another team's actions, something totally different can happen. So you wonder if maybe the right mentality is play it out to the end and let the chips fall where they may. That may be the other maneuver here, but it's all, it's really, really compelling about how this 2-3-4 in the East is going to play out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, must-see TV would love to see Philadelphia play Brooklyn, right? Uh, because, you know, the ramifications of the trade. Is James Harden going to give it? Because he's been, he's been struggling of late. Embiid is likely to be the MVP of the NBA. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, you don't think so? I think Nikola Jokic is going to steal that award. Do you? Really? Do. That's interesting. I do. I do. You know what? I, there's a couple things involved here. Number one, if you look at Tim Bontem's straw poll of ESPN, that he runs, he did one last week, and Jokic had a slight lead, all right? Here's another stat that I'm going to give you that I think may end up factoring in for the voters this year more than we thought in any other year, okay? And that's essentially going to be games played. Mm. Joel Embiid has played 66. With their last two, if he plays in them both, he'll get to 68. Nikola Jokic is at 73, he'll get to 75. And that seven games may end up being the difference. Advanced stats wise, Jokic is better um, by a decent margin, not enormously. And Denver, what Jokic has done in the absence of his second and third best player has been incredibly impressive. And and keep this in mind about voters. And this bothers me a little bit about a lot of the MVP voters. There is a an attachment to the advanced stat size 
side of all of this, maybe more than there should be. I've always been a big guy when it comes to MVP. Impact on winning is what matters the most to me personally. And, and I think yeah, you put there's four guys in the conversation based upon that. Obviously, Jokic and Beep, Giannis, and Devin Booker because of the end. But Booker's stats don't look as pretty as the other three. So he, he's going to be dismissed immediately in terms of having any realistic chance to win the award. But Jokic's advanced stats are clearly the best of the three. And Embiid's, by the way, are the third of the three. Giannis is the second. I think that's something that could cost him the award as well. And it's very interesting. Before I let you go, real quick, Adam Silver supposedly is looking into players not playing a full complement of games. I don't know how you monitor that. I this All right, so he talked about a couple things yesterday um, in that media availability. He talked about the playing tournament, with the thought that the playing tournament would keep players involved playing a lot of games till the end of the season. And it hasn't worked. It's worked in the way that it's an incredibly compelling concept. It's here to stay. It's really entertaining. It does keep teams in it later, which, and I love all that about the playing tournament. I really do. Um, so you have all of that. It hasn't had the desired effect on having guys play the full couple of the games. He talked about changing formats and doing a mid-season tournament, which is something he really wants to do. I don't see how that's going to keep guys playing more games. Because if you're going to hand some kind of playoff advantage to a team in a mid-season tournament, I'll make the case you're incenting them to have their stars play less games down the stretch of the season. So I, I don't know that that's going to work. Here's something that I don't know that Adam Silver is going to do that I think is going to work. Listen, I love Adam Silver. He has been a terrific commissioner. As I. He's been a, play, yep. a player's commissioner. And there's been enormous advantages in being a player's commissioner. The biggest advantage is, you know, the NBA, it's been a very, very long time. Okay, since 2011, we've heard about the potential for any kind of labor stoppage. And to me, that's enormous. Yep. The relations between players and owners are fantastic. They're going to continue to find ways to divide the treasure chest of money that this league earns without taking that product away from fans or even threatening to. So I, I love that he's done that. I'll also say this. Accommodating the players on this issue is an extremely slippery slope. He did broach the topic of pulling off 82 games and maybe going to 72 games. Problem there is that, well, when what happens in 72 games ends up being too much mm -hmm. for star players. Like, it, it's, you keep accommodating, that's a problem. Here's my solution. My solution is a pretty simple one. I know there's a lot of people in the media that aren't comfortable with the fact that players' max salaries, especially guys going into second contracts, are attached to all NBA status. And I think for all max players, there should be a bump for all NBA status. I think that should not only be for guys going into second contracts, I think in a new CBA that all NBA should be a particular percentage bump. However, if you do not play in 70 games, you do not qualify for an All-NBA team. Therefore, you cannot get that bump. Uh. So, yes, injuries will certainly play a role in that. And you say you want to penalize guys that got hurt? Well, so be it. The NFL does it. You're still making a lot of guaranteed money. And that extra bump that you're going to get, you don't get if you don't play 70 games. Whether it's injury, load management, COVID, name it. You don't get it. Period. 70-game hard minimum for an all-NBA status. You want to lower it a little bit, make it 67, 68, negotiate that? Okay, I can live with that. But you got to, if you want players to be there and play their full, full complement of games, you have, because one thing I'll tell you about NBA players, they pride themselves on making max contracts, making the most money that they can. And it's not about the money, it's about the stature. 
most NBA players have more money than they can ever spend. Okay, it's about the stature. It's about the note. It's about being a guy who is getting a max contract. You yep. know, guys, guys carry themselves ego wise with that. So to me, that's the answer. You don't play in this complement of games. We take all NBA away from you if you're not all NBA. You don't. There's only a certain percentage of the cap that you can get. You can get 35 percent of the cap. We're going to steal two and a half percent from you that you can't make if you're not all in the NBA. That goes back to your team in in some form of cap space. Or you want to make it penalizing? You can say your team doesn't get it back in cap space, even if you've been signed to that type of deal. But you can essentially have guaranteed money go down, even though you signed a particular deal for making all NBA by not being not playing enough games to qualify for all NBA in a subsequent year. So there's different ways you can structure contracts that way. But that type of threshold power, to me, is going to be what gets players attention. No, I'm with you. Uh, I think Aaron S- Adam Silver is the most effective commissioner in all of sports. Appreciate your insight, Brian, as always. And don't forget to stay safe. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.